brothers and sisters in Christ of Zion Lutheran Church, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to him, the almighty God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have created all things to come into being, and all things are here by your will. We know that the lives that we live are not our own, but they are a precious gift from you. Help us always to remember also the precious gift of your Son, who has come to redeem us from sin, death, and the devil. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Your life is precious to the Lord. Your physical life, our body and blood, our physical being is a precious gift given to us by God himself. We see that today in the Old Testament reading. In Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6, it states, God himself speaking, says, Surely your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. From the hand of every man, and from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Today there's confusion about what we are, who we are. Many see us as just creatures, mammals, fellow mammals on this planet that share it with a myriad of others. Mindless creatures, risen up from the primordial swamps long ago. We are no better than creatures. And yet in the Bible, we see a different story. The Lord comes down to earth, and he takes the dust of the earth in his hands, and he forms Adam from the dust of the earth. And he breathes his own life, his own spirit into him. And Adam becomes a living being. In the image of God, he has made us. Male and female, he has made us. There's much confusion about what is man, what is woman, what are we. We are this. We are God's special creation. We are his dearly beloved children, formed by his own hand. So special, in fact, that our very blood is very precious to the Lord. It is a precious thing that will not go unaccounted for if it is spilled by man and, as we saw in the reading, by beast. We are more than just beasts of the field. We are more than just creatures. We are God's special creation, made and formed in his own image. We are precious in his sight. An example from Holy Scripture we see is Cain and Abel. The sons of Adam, Cain, his firstborn, and Abel go before the Lord one day, and they present offerings to the Lord. Cain, a worker of the ground, presents fruit of the ground to the Lord. 
And Abel, his brother, a shepherd, gives first fruit, his firstborn, firstborn of the flock to the Lord as an offering. And the Lord looks upon favor, looks upon Abel with favor. But to Cain, he does not look on favor. And why is this? Abel comes before God not to just do the act, to get it over with, because he has to do it. But he comes before the Lord in faith and gives the first fruits, the firstborn of his flock. For he knows that the Lord will provide more sheep, that he will provide more for the flock. He will provide more for Abel. And Cain does not bring the first fruits. Cain just brings some of the harvest. After he has collected the harvest, he brings another part of it, and not the first fruits. And this, understandably, makes Cain upset. He is upset, he is angry at the Lord. He is upset and angry at his brother. But the Lord comes to him. He says, why are you angry? If you do well, will it not go well with you? But if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. But it is our, just as it was Cain's duty to rule over the sin. What happens next, we well know in Genesis 4, verses 8 through 12. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and perhaps he went to talk to Abel to try to understand what the Lord wanted from him, if he did not understand already. But he goes to Abel and he speaks to his brother, and it comes to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. There is a reckoning for Abel's blood. As we saw in the Old Testament reading, the Lord requires it. He requires it from Cain. Cain is cursed. And Cain knows it. It's too much for him. It's too much for Cain. As it goes on in the following verses, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Cain knows that retribution must happen, that Abel's blood must be accounted for. And he cries out to the Lord. He begs and pleads to the Lord in this. And the Lord is not deaf to him. The Lord hears him. The Lord listens to him. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, 
Vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. The Lord has compassion upon Cain. Though he has committed this great evil, though he has slaughtered his own brother, and he has spilled his own brother's blood on the ground, the Lord still has compassion upon him. He sees Cain's life as precious, his body and his life as something precious. For Cain himself is also made in the very image of God. Another example that we look to is the slaughter of the holy innocents. We celebrated, or not celebrated, but commemorated and reflected upon on December 28th. It's the festival that we recognize the children of Bethlehem who were slaughtered at the hand of King Herod. When Herod found out that there was a new king born in Israel. And in his fear, in his ignorance and fear, Herod lashed out and slaughtered all the children two years of age and under in Bethlehem. He feared for what reason? What would cause a man to act in such a way that he would take the innocent lives of countless children in Bethlehem? That he would cause Rachel to weep and mourn over her children? He feared that Christ would wrest the, king, the kingdom from him, that he would steal Israel from under his feet. But there needed be no fear of this, for all things are the Lord's already. God has created all things, and all things are done according to his will. As we see in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Even King Herod is his, just as Cain was his. Psalm 145, the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. This shows that the, all things, as we saw in Psalm 24, all things are the Lord's, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. They all look to their great master. They look to their king to supply them to feed them, to give them shelter, to protect them from harm and danger. And this the Lord does. And this he does to us as well. He opens his hand and he feeds us. And in Job chapter 12, he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Even King Herod's kingdom is a gift from the Lord, given unto King Herod. At any minute, the Lord could take away that kingdom from him. But it was not the desire of Jesus, and it was not his ministry 
to come and do such a thing. It was not his purpose to come and uproot earthly kingdoms in this manner, to rule earthly kingdoms. His kingdom is one of heaven. It is a heavenly kingdom that he has come to rule over. But because of this perceived fear from Herod, he slaughters the children of Bethlehem. And we can look to our own day and age and see the same thing happening around us. It is quieter than what the slaughter of the innocents was. It is more subdued and is hidden from sight. And yet it still happens. Year after year, it does not stop. And of course, talk of abortion and the reckless, recklessness that our fellow man has for infant children not yet born in the womb. And it is for the same reasons that Herod sought to destroy the Christ that today abortions take place. It is the fear of losing what control we have in our lives. The fear of losing who we are. For if we have this child, we must devote our time and our energy to this child. But if we do that, then perhaps we lose who we are. We lose our right and our sovereignty to be our own person. The same thing happens today. Nearly 600, at least 600,000 abortions happen every year. 600,000 plus children murdered in the womb. 600,000 children slaughtered out of fear. Yes, there are times that people say, well, what of rape and incest? Those only make up 1%. 1% of total abortions. The rest, the 99%, are done out of fear of losing what sovereignty we think, we perceive we have in our own lives. But we do not have sovereignty in our own lives. For our lives, again, are a gift from the Lord. They are a precious gift given unto us by God. They are the Lord's. And we ought to live our lives according to God's good will, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth as he has spoken to Noah and to Adam and Eve as well. This is our duty, to live righteously before God and to fulfill what he has in store for us in his will. And yet we cannot do this. We are sinful. We are wicked. Strive as we might in our own power. Strive as we might. We cannot live righteously before the Lord. We fall into sin day upon day, But the Lord still finds our life as precious. Not only our physical life, our body and our body and blood, what we possess here in this world, but also our spiritual life. He has deemed our souls to be worthy of salvation. 
we see it for us, written in the epistle, that he seeks to dwell among us. He seeks to dwell within us in his holy temple. It's not the first time that he sought to dwell among man, to tabernacle with us. With Adam and Eve, he was in their midst. As he walked in the midst of the garden, they heard him. And they spoke to him face to face. The Lord again sought to dwell with mankind within the tabernacle after the fall and after rescuing his people from slavery in, in Egypt. He seeks to dwell among them in the tabernacle provided by the hand of Moses. And again within the temple, he sought to dwell amongst the people in the temple provided by the hand of Solomon. And again, after the Lord's spirit and his presence departs from the temple, as we see in Ezekiel chapter 10, the Lord thereafter has deemed us worthy to dwell among us at the baptism of Jesus. When the heavens are torn asunder, and the Spirit of the Lord descends like a dove upon Jesus, it is to say that he once again seeks to dwell amongst us, with us, to be God with us. But how can this be? How can this be when the Lord seeks to be with us when we are wicked? For we are, day upon day, Week upon week, year after year, we sin against the Lord. And if we did hold the first table to, of the Ten Commandments, to have no other gods but him, to never take his name in vain, and to remember the Sabbath day, if we held to that and did good in that, we would still be guilty of the second table. For we do not love our fellow man as we love ourselves. We do not love our neighbor as, our, as we should. We all have dishonored father and mother. We have all committed adultery, perhaps not of the flesh, but of the heart, of the eyes, of the mind. We have all committed murder, again, not of the heart, or not of the flesh, perhaps, but of the heart, of the mind, we have committed murder. We have stolen, we have borne false witness against our neighbors, we have coveted that what our neighbor has. We have broken the second table of the Ten Commandments, and we are therefore wicked, before the Lord. It is mirrored for us. Our condition is mirrored for us today perfectly in today's gospel reading. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us to that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, and as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted in their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Our accuser comes to us, Satan, and he hurls us in front of Jesus and says, He or she has been caught in the very act of breaking your commandments. Certainly they deserve death. That is what you promised Adam, that he would die. They deserve death. And he is right in doing so. He is absolutely correct. We do deserve death, for we have broken the Lord's commandments. However, we do not need to suffer death. We do not need to fear death. And why is that? Why do we not need to fear death or suffer death? Certainly, yes, we will die in this life. Many, many that we know, friends and family alike, have all gone before us. We all know of someone. So we know that death will, yes, one day touch us and take us from this mortal life. But we need not fear it. For the death that we experience here is just the beginning of life. By the love of Christ, by his coming to us, by taking on our sins, by becoming sin himself, he who knew no sin became sin, sin itself. And he was nailed to the cross on our behalf. He was put to death that we might have life. Thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God. He has died, and he has come to us. While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He sees us as precious. He sees our life, our body, and also our soul as precious and something worth saving. Thanks be to God. He has come to us and redeemed us. And now, because of his crucifixion, because of his death and his suffering and his resurrection, we are given new life. We are given new life in the waters of holy baptism. When we are baptized, we are put to death with Christ. Our sins are put to death within us. And we are made into a new man. And we live, we are to live righteously before the Lord. If we live in him, we are to live righteously before him. No longer in sins. No longer in our anger. In our grudges and our hate. No longer in our lust 
our adulteries, our thieving, our murdering, no longer in our gossiping, but only in Christ. Only in Christ are we to live. As it says in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, If then you were raised with Christ, which we have been raised with Christ in the waters of baptism, we have been made a new man, we have been made righteous. If we have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. We are dead. We are dead to sin and trespasses. For the Lord has deemed us worthy, not just us here in this room, but all mankind he has come to earth to save. And it is his desire and it is his will that all would come to the knowledge of him, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would turn from their sins, that they would be baptized into his family, become his brothers and sisters, just as we are. That is the sanctity of life. The holiness that we live now in Jesus. Yes, we sin. We are wicked. But we are righteous just as Christ is righteous. So when Satan comes to us, when he accuses us, which he rightly does, again, accuse us of our sins, We know for certain, just as the woman in the gospel reading today, we know for certain that Jesus will come to us and say, Where are they? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And boldly we can say, No one, Lord. No one has condemned us. For there can be no one who can stand against the Lord in his righteousness. In what he has called righteous, no one can oppose. Not even Satan himself, in all his great power, he cannot oppose that. So we boldly say, no one, Lord. No one condemns us. And we hear the blessed words of the Lord, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Thanks be to God that he does not condemn us. Thanks be to God that he has deemed our bodies worthy to be saved. Thanks be to God that he has deemed our souls worthy of salvation. Thanks be to God that he has deemed us worthy to be his brothers and sisters. Thanks be to God that he has gone before us to prepare a place for us at the side of the Father both now and to life everlasting. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep you in the one true faith and to life everlasting. Amen. Will the ushers come forward for the offering?